Uh, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start, we're going to be starting at verse 12. Uh, if you have your hand out, you'll see that the heading for this next section is the benefits available through the Spirit. Benefits available through the Spirit, and that's verses 12 through verse 17a. Uh, the reason that there's a division in verse 17 is because part of verse 17 fits under this heading, and then another part of verse 17 actually fits under the next heading, so that's why it's 17a, and then next we'll get to be 17b, we'll be under a different heading. So uh, that's just the paragraph division that uh, I feel comfortable with. So that's how I got divided up. It seems kind of weird, but hopefully it'll, you'll see as we go through why it's like that. Hopefully it'll make sense. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Whenever you're there, say amen. amen. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read verses 12 through 17. Uh, verse, starting in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. The, where it is divided is, we're going to get through 17a, which is, and if, and if children, then heirs of God, and then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. And that's where the division ends, because that really fits under the benefits of the Spirit, and not necessarily the next, the next heading. So, let's go back to verse 12, and then uh, we'll just dive on in and get after. Uh, oh, well, one thing before I forget. From the book of Romans, we're going to stop after the first of the year. We'll be in the start of the next class. We will not be in the book of Romans. We will be in another book. Which book? I do not have that answer right now. Um, but that's that's the plan. We're going to get, we're hoping to get through chapter uh, 11. Uh, chapters 9 through 11 are really a warning uh, against unbelief of basically the chapters 1 through 8. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to cover that, but after that, at, towards the back part, which is chapters 12 through 16, it's more uh, practical practical Christian living, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Amen. A good yeah. thing, but the purpose for the class is to teach the message of the cross. Uh, so that's why uh, I feel like the Lord wants to end it at the end of chapter 11 and go to another book. There's a lot more that we need to see. Yeah. First of all, uh, yeah, go ahead. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. That phrase, therefore, brethren, shows that Paul is addressing his statement to believers. Uh, anytime, Paul, Paul doesn't use the word brethren if he's not talking to believers. Uh, 
remember I told you about the example in the book of Acts where he said, brethren, he went somewhere and he said he found out, he searched out basically, or found brethren. They weren't filled with the Baptist, but the Holy Spirit, but yet Paul called them brethren. And they weren't Jews, they were Gentiles. So he didn't call them brethren because they were Jews. He called them brethren because they were saved. So we talk about believers here. Paul is speaking to believers who do not who do not properly know their place in Christ, or else they have purposely drifted over into another way. The phrase, or I say phrase, it's in the verse 12. It's the phrase, we are debtors. That word debtors, if you look on your handout, you have the Greek word for it. I'm not going to try it. Uh, but the definition is one held by an obligation, which in this case, to Christ. So, brethren, fellow believers, we are debtors. We are indebted to Christ because of what he's done yeah. for us. And then right after it says, not to the flesh. The believer does not owe anything in the direction of the flesh and in fact has done nothing but suffer from that means. When you got saved, it had nothing to do with anything about you. It wasn't your efforts. It wasn't your ability. It wasn't even your great knowledge. It was nothing to do with you. Some minister preached the gospel to you. Preach what that you were a sinner, and then presented Christ as the answer, and the Holy Spirit moved upon your heart and life, and you believed it so much that you went down to the altar and you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior in your heart and your life. And through that faith, you were saved. Not you didn't do any great thing. You didn't get saved because you said a certain prayer. You didn't get saved because you were in a certain church. None of that. If I told you how I got saved, you would think I was crazy and weird, but <laughs> I, I was in the bathroom at work. <laughs> it has to do not only with the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, but as well spreads out to include religious men who would attempt to force the believer to abide by their own man devised religious laws. All of that is of the flesh. My dad talked about this this morning in his sermon, which was a wonderful sermon. Uh, if you haven't heard it, you should check it out and listen to it because the man spoke truth. And that's what we're after. Amen. Truth. Religious men will attempt to get you to follow, shocker here, but their own rules. Yeah. Just all about what I think is best for you. Well, sorry, Bubba, but he <laughs> got nothing to do with my salvation. And I can say this, and he would agree to it wholeheartedly, and he would support me in it. Uh, because it's the truth, but if my dad attempted to put on me some law, I would be having none of it. And I would probably let him know about it. <laughs> because, and it's not because of personal things, but because I know that that's an attack against the gospel. Whether he realizes it or not, it's an attack against the gospel. Now, my dad would never do that, and if someone else put it on me, he would probably be the first to speak up before me. <laughs> but 
Religion attempts to do that very thing. Just get you. We're not really interested. They're not really interested in getting you saved. Just shocker here. They're not really interested in that. They're just interested in you being their disciple. Just if you if you just look, you'd be a lot better off, brother, if you just look like me. <laughs> that's real. No, we don't. Nobody says it out loud, but that's really the whole idea. If you just look like me, walk like me, talk like me. I was young like you one time. <laughs> then praise God. That's Christ likeness. No, that's not. Why is it? Yeah. I don't want to step on your toes, so I'll wear it on Why is it we all gotta dress the same? Yeah. Look the same. We we try to be like Christ. Or your idea of holiness. Because if it's your idea of holiness, then it's of the flesh. And I'll show you as we continue what scripture says about that. But yet we got whole denominations. And the whole principle is kind of built on that. We just praise God. That's, that's holiness. No, it is not. You can dress like that and be just as worldly in your heart. But praise God, you look. You look holy. I mean, we all know what we're talking about. <laughs> but yet, why doesn't it break our hearts? Yeah. Well, it does. It does. It's a shame. It's a shame that we're not more Christ-like, more humble, more able to love the way that Christ loved. That love that stands at the fire beside you and saves you from the lines and, and it cools the oil down when it's too hot. Bad love. Yes. It's a shame. It grieves my heart to know that that's happening. We we all know how far we how far how far short we really do fall. I mean, I, I just in my own life, I know that it's like what our sister said. It it, it grieves you. That reminds me of the beatitudes. Bless her, those who mourn. Yeah. That's not a one-time thing. No. And, and I, it's not mourning because your life sucks. Just, just to be honest, it's not mourning because you suffer because your life just sucks. Because that's yeah. just a Christian way. No, that's not it. Mourning because of your own sinfulness. That. And as a Christian, that just, that's, that's a lifestyle. It should just be ongoing. Mm -hmm. 
And I think this lines up with my dad's message this morning, sir. False gospels don't really grieve us that much. We just almost, like it's not that big of a deal. I heard a minister, my dad might even know who it was. He said that a lot of times we preach against, they have itching ears and everything. We preach against it, and it's not necessarily wrong that we do, but one of the, the ministers presented it in a way, I would say pretty scriptural. And he said that we preach against it, and we should, he wasn't saying that that's wrong, but what he was saying is, what if that is God's judgment? That they're actually turned over to what they want. Right. And we say, oh, well, God needs to do so. What if that is? They're being turned over to what they want. I'll be honest, I never really thought of it that way, to be honest. Be, yeah. It's just kind of sobering. But yet, we, even in our own lives, we can look, we can always look at the, what we would call extremes, basically. That, yeah. But in our own lives, we, we actually look a lot more like this than we think. But a lot of times, Another man doesn't even have to put anything on us. We will do it to ourselves. That's true. Right. In the flesh. In the flesh. The whole way. We don't even notice it. Like I said, I give you, like, you know, we talked about extremes where we're like, yeah, that's cool. But how many times do we have a personal, maybe a personal conviction from the Holy Spirit, and the next thing we do is we start putting it on everybody else? Mm hmm. The Lord starts leading you into prayer more, and the next thing you do, after you start praying more, of course, is demanding that everybody else needs to start praying more. And the next thing you know, it's just all about us, what we do, yeah. and how I do it, and you don't do it. But the next thing we do is we start taking what's for me and applying it to you and you and you and you and you and you because we all just need to look more like me. We don't say that, but. I'm just as guilty. Remember, I told you, I love preaching about myself. Because <laughs> we're all in the same boat. I'm in the sanctification process just like you are in the sanctification process. My love, if these preachers I listen to, Brother Robert, Pastor Robert, call me that. <laughs> <laughs> if they just preach more like me, <laughs> I tell you, I preach against myself before. I'd rather do that than anything else. If they just knew the message of the cross like me, why can't they see it like I see it? Are you saying that? Yeah, I'm saying that I'm a human being. And I. Buy out a big piece of stupid a lot of times. <laughs> and I just sometimes just in the flesh. And don't even know it. Paul would say in Romans 13 8. Oh no man anything. Or in other words. 
words, I am not a debtor to any man to obey him in anything as far as believers are concerned except to love him in Christ. This shoots down all religious man-devised hierarchies. Yeah, yeah that's true. Eight. Bad English, good preaching, Louisiana vocabulary. Ain't nobody had to come tell me what I need to do. Because at the end of the day, I stand before the throne That's of it. God. That's it. Now, what I'm not telling you <laughs> is that everyone else is wrong and you ain't got to listen to nobody. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about when it comes to putting law yeah. on you. That's it. Well, brother, you need to dress this way. Brother, the only thing I need to do is just love you in Christ Jesus. Christ. Amen. Right. And I don't have to dress that way. <laughs> well, you need to have your hair like this, brother. The only sister, the only thing I need to do is love you in Christ Jesus. And now, just in case you didn't know, now you know, you got scripture to stand on. That's and unless right. you yeah. don't, if you don't have that, you yeah. ain't got nothing. But yet I just gave you one. Oh, no, I give it to you again. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. I actually looked it up when I was right. It says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there be any other commandment that is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And then he goes on and on and on. The only thing we owe one another is loving each other in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I don't have to listen to any law you put on me. And the good news is, you don't have to listen to any law I try to put on you. Because that's not, we're not here for that. Yeah, sure. Some men would abuse their position in an attempt to lord over you As though they are your master. But remember, you have one. Right. His name is Jesus. Right. There are pastors that would, that would attempt to lord over you as though they are your master. Praise God, you don't have a pastor. Amen. And I'm not saying that just because he's my dad. Amen. But because he's not like that. Yeah. My dad does demand that he tell him anything. Because you don't have to. Because he's not called for that. But there are there are pastors that are not like that. They'll demand things from you like your taxes. Mm. What does my taxes have to do with my salvation? 
in Christ Jesus. Now you can't make a purchase unless the pastor okays it. I'm sorry, I have one master, the Lord, and I'm well able to hear him. And if I get off the wrong path, he's a good shepherd. And he's well able to get me back on the path a lot better than men. But the abuse power, what they think they have, that's not, that's not the way of God. That's foolishness. And that's law. And that has no place in the body of Christ. And I'll just be, be very blunt and plain, it disgusts me. As a child of God, I must order my life after the Holy Spirit, who will always guide me according to the Word of God. I live my life ordered after the finished work of Calvary. I live after what Christ has done and not what I do or don't do. As a believer, I owe the flesh my own works, efforts, ability, etc. Nothing. They did nothing for me, except most of the time call me names. <laughs> My hope alone is in Christ, and in Him I find all that I need, and actually far more than I can ever need. In my own abilities, efforts, strength, I fall so short. Oh my God, it's not even funny. So I, therefore, I, I owe nothing to my own flesh. And I owe nothing to yours either. <laughs> Everything I owe is to Christ. That's good news. Yes. Good news. Uh, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Wow, see, I told you, you would end up, uh, you'll get to see. <laughs> this, this speaks primarily to the believer who does not avail himself of what Christ has done at Calvary. Instead, striving in his own efforts and ability, causing him to be dominated by the sin nature. See, if you go the way of obedience to man-made laws, what you'll find and what the scripture just said is death. What? Yeah, the flesh leads to death. Right. It's not just a bad idea. It is Destruction. Obedience to the faith is more important than sacrifice. I want you to really hear that. Obedience to the faith is more important than sacrifice. Obedience to the faith. Obedience in placing your faith in the finished work of Calvary is more important to God than all the things that you are willing to give up. Because the truth is, even though it looks great, all that does is appeal to the flesh. Yeah, that's true. Look how humble I am. I'm willing to go without such and such is filled in the blank. For God. 
God is more interested in where your faith is. Amen. Well, I would never, ever live in a house like that. He's not interested in the house you live in. He's interested in where your faith is. I would never drive a car like that. He's not interested in what kind of car you drive. Wait up. Are we so dull? He's interested in what your faith is. Obedience to the faith is more important than sacrifices. Because the truth is, we'll give up a lot of things for the Lord. Especially if you are saved and you love God. But if that doesn't Things, my, my, one of my best friends in Bible college, she's actually going to get a chance to preach eventually, I think. Paris Reagan. Love Paris to death. Paris, me and Paris were just talking one day, and Paris was married before I was married. And he, we were just talking kind of about this. That uh, sometimes we act like God wants us to be in a place of suffering 24-7. Because it's in that place that we feel that we need him. And that we reach out to him probably more. Now, is it true that we do? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, Paris said that the Lord dealt with them and said, I, I want you to want me when I'm not the only thing. Yeah. Right. Do you still, if you had the wife and you had the job, would you still want me more? Most of the time we think the Lord wants me to give up everything. The Lord just wants your heart. God is not pleased in stripping us bare. He just wants our heart. That's true. Do you want me? A wife would not be very pleased with her husband if she felt like that her husband was with her because she was the only one available. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, in our natural thinking, that's how we think with God sometimes. Well, no, God doesn't want me to have a nice car. No, God doesn't want me to have a job that would actually allow me to save any type of money. God wouldn't want me to have the house of my dreams. Oh, no. Because then I would just get real comfortable in the world. He wants your heart. He does not want your house, your job, your car. That means nothing to him. It's your heart. David said, a broken and a contrite heart has what he desires. Not, not an animal sacrifice. But most of the time we think he wants sacrifices. Yeah, that's true. 
I'm just not sacrificing enough for God, and He's not pleased with me. He's pleased with your faith. Yeah. Obedience to the faith is more important than sacrifice. That is good news. Yeah. I don't know about you, but the way that I got it taught to me before Bible college and the message of the cross, you ain't a real Christian unless you, as Brother Bob said, look like you've been baptized in vinegar and sucking on lemons. <laughs> That's a real Christian. <laughs> when it looks like you're suffering 24 7. Boy, that's a real Christian right there. Well, they love God. I tell you what. Because we get, and we're going to see it as we go through. Oh, it's going to play out. But right now is a good time to just talk about it. We equate holiness with suffering. Yeah, but that's, that's not true. biblical. That is true. That is true. Yeah, we do. In the book of Acts, suffering did not come because of holiness. Suffering came because of truth. Yes. Yes. We think holiness and suffering go hand in hand. That's not biblical. What's biblical is that truth and suffering go hand in hand. Read the book of Acts. And get ready. We focus on all the miracles and the movings and workings of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, which we should. I'm not saying that, but the part that we ignore. Yeah. Because we just don't really like to focus. It's a lot funner to focus on the... <laughs> it's a lot better to focus on the, the moves of the Spirit in the book of Acts, because really it's the acts of the Holy Spirit, not the acts of the apostles. But what we just gloss over real easy yeah. is yeah. suffering. Suffer. They, they didn't suffer because of holiness. They yeah. suffered because of truth. Yes. Jesus was hated because of truth. Yeah, that's true. We're going to be hated because of yes. truth. truth. Why has the church really been hated? Because we maybe we haven't really had doubts. Mm. True. We had another gospel serving this morning. Another gospel. And we've just been able to walk nice and easy with the world hand in hand because nobody hates us because hate and suffering just comes with truth. Most of the suffering that we have right now is just because we just think that suffering and holiness go hand in hand. But when you actually start the, preaching the truth, then you find out, dude, whoa, <laughs> persecution is not a joke. And it comes from people that you would never think that it would. Those closest to you. Because when your truth butts into their error, I say your truth, when the truth yeah, that's it. comes in confrontation with the error that they believe, they can't get to God, so they can only get to you. 
You don't think that Paul was stoned because he was Paul. Paul was stoned because of the truth. We'll just move on. We owe God faith in his son and what he did for us. I just want to say it again because it's wonderful. Obedience to the faith. Yes. Yeah. More important than sacrifice. That's true. Praise God. Amen. That's good news. To your point, you use Paul as an example of being stoned. He's a good example of both of what you're talking about. Before he was Paul, he was Saul, mm -hmm. a persecutor of the church. Why didn't he persecute the church? Because yeah. of the truth true. that was coming out yeah, that, was, yeah. that was hitting his error. Mm -hmm. And he became angry at what they were doing. He thought he was doing something right, but he became angry because of what they were saying that he thought was almost black. And so he became angry as Stephen Stone yeah. because of that. And then, of course, later, when he had a revelation of Christ and he understood the truth, he later also was persecuted himself for that same thing to the truth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, the next one. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the needs of the body, you shall live. It is only through the Spirit of God that we can overcome the sin nature. Yes. Uh, that word mortify, you got it in your handout, it's a Greek word, and it means to kill or put to death. Now, uh, just here and also in Colossians, uh, in Bible College, we had a discussion about about it a little bit. Uh, mortify, and I think it's a similar word, if not the same as used in Colossians, and it's like, wait a minute, what we understand about the cross is that we have been crucified in Christ, which means this should already be, it should already happen. So present or past tense. And there was a discussion about it and got into it, but <clears throat> the only way that you will do it is faith in the finished work of Calvary, which is where it has been done. The deeds of the body are mortified in Christ. Remember, you've been crucified with Christ. In Him, you are dead. So the deeds of the body. Well, you're dead. <laughs> like you said before, a dead man doesn't really have a problem with alcohol because he's dead. <laughs> he could be, he's dead. You go put, you could go put as much alcohol you want on the grave of a dead man, and when you go back, guess what won't be drinking from that man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if no one else is around. <laughs> <laughs> that dead man isn't going to drink the alcohol that you put in front of him because he is dead. Likewise, you are dead. Yes. Act like it. Temptation is going to come. Act dead. 
You are dead. <laughs> Do we really believe? That's what I was talking about before. The problem is not great. We don't need more faith. We, we, we have a problem with unbelief. Yeah, that's true. We don't like that because unbelief makes us feel. Yeah. I believe. Then how come when the temptations come, you give in, even though Scripture says that you're dead? Yeah. Do it. And I've already told you that a dead man wouldn't be giving in to a temptation because he's dead. Flatlining. Now this is a process, so I hope you get so far. It's a process. <laughs> It's a process. We learn to walk in it. That's right. true. Welcome to sanctification. That's right. If you've never failed, well, get the same boat. All the same boat. Okay. It's a process. But that's the idea. If we walk in it perfectly, okay. well, we know. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the potential isn't there. Yeah. The problem isn't with the work. We either destroy by the spirit the power of the sin nature or it destroys us. There is no in-between. There is no curtailing the sin nature. You won't be putting it on a leash and controlling it. I'll just tell you. Right. That's true. Either through the Spirit, you destroy it, or it destroys you. Steal comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not a partial thing. Mm -hmm. It's all That's good. Kill or be killed. That's the idea. Either through the spirit, you destroy the power of the sin nature in your heart and life. Or if you do not go that way, it will destroy you. And I do not challenge you to test that theory. Yes. Yeah, right. I've seen a glimpse of what it can do in my own life. You can tell us about it from the same passage? No, no. You can sit as a buffet, eat off your own plate. <laughs> <laughs> The number one benefit, there's four benefits, by the way, I'm just telling you this, so that's why it sounds strange, but the, the number one benefit, I say number one, it's not the first benefit, it's not there. the first benefit is life and living. Remember, we talked, the heading of this is the benefits available through the Spirit. The first benefit is life and living. That's a benefit available through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Life and living. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, remember I told you that as we go, it's going to play out about how I'm walking after the flesh and not so good walking after the Spirit. Pay attention very closely to what verse 14 says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, if it says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, what does that mean if you are not led by the Spirit of God? You are not. You are, by you are not the sons of God. Hmm. But the sons of God. Sometimes we just read it and we're just like, okay, that's what it said, but like, what do we do? 
just like the truth is, I never really thought about the phrase that Jesus said until later on. I actually thought about it, slowed down, read it, and actually thought about it when they came to him and they said, Your mother and your brother are outside. Your mother and your brother and your sister. They're outside. And then Jesus' response was, Those who do the will of my Father, those are my brothers and sisters. Which means that if you do not do the will of the Father, See, if we just slow down and read sometimes and pay attention to what we're reading, then it's like, dude, wait a minute, hold on. It wasn't like some catchy comeback. <laughs> One of my nephews, Aiden, has really catchy comebacks. He's just like on the small dot. He can say, well, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but it's done. But this is not what Christ did. His every word was for a reason. Those who do the will of my Father. Those. So that means that those that do not do the will of the Father can't be. They can't be in the family. So for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So for as many as are not led by the Spirit of God cannot be the sons of God. And we've talked about what the flesh, the flesh will point you to law. So for as many as are led by the flesh, whether the sin nature or law, what they cannot be is sons of God. Well, bro, that's what you're talking about. It's not my words. I didn't write the book. The second benefit is leading, being led by the Spirit. The Spirit will always lead to Christ and the cross. Sons of God are led by the Spirit. Those who follow the Spirit by constant faith in Christ and His work at Calvary are sons of God. Those who do not are not sons of God. There's been a little bit in this class, and we kind of laugh sometimes, but in the class, from what I've felt so far, this class at least, there has been some weight to it. Some things have been said were very weighty. Mm -hmm. And for real, I think the Lord wants us to really see, like, this and that. It's not that it will cause you a little harm to walk after the flesh. It's not that it won't be super beneficial for you to walk after the flesh, to go your own way, to follow man's way, to apply law to your life, to live the way that you think. It's not that it causes a little problems, but at the end, hey, it's a big deal. The Lord doesn't view it as just death and destruction is the end result of that. So if I don't present it to you in such a way that makes you see that death and destruction is the end result of that, then I'm not doing a very good job. I mean, we might not be best friends by the time it's all said and done, but... I'm not here to be your best friend. Good work. I have to answer to the Lord at the end of the day. 
If I leave Earth with only one friend, Sarah. <laughs> but I do the will of God, and I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, I think I did pretty good. <laughs> That's all that matters. Now, everybody's going to like me, and I'm okay with that. I want friends, I want people to love me. And I don't want to step on people's toes, and I don't want people to think bad things about me, but at the end of the day, I just don't care. Because of the truth. Because of the truth. So if I have to suffer because of the truth, I won't back off of the truth just so I don't have to suffer. The only time that I'll admit that I'm wrong so I don't have to suffer is in my marriage. You know, baby, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You're right. Let's eat ice cream. First is the spirit of bondage, as Paul here uses the phrase, refers to the old Mosaic law. The law demanded obedience, as all law demands obedience, and the person was a virtual slave to that process. The Jew, at least those who tried to keep the law, found themselves in bondage to that law. Because it was something they simply could not do as hard as they tried, and yet they knew they must. Any believer who embarks upon an effort of law-keeping will find themselves in the same bondage. This can include and does include laws, rules, and regulations made up by churches. If you set out on that path, you're just going to find yourself in bondage. In bondage to laws, rules, and regulations that, to be honest, are needed. And though they may promise you something great, if you follow them and keep them, at the end, the only thing that you find is they bring death because you can't follow them and keep them perfectly. So, as Paul says in another letter, the law deceived me. And by it, slew me. Yeah. It killed me. It promised something, but the only thing that I found that it brought was death. Even though it promised life. If you do this, God will be more pleased with you. Well, basically, we go to what we talked about this morning in Galatians. Praise God, you believe in Christ. Hallelujah. We need, Christ is the Messiah. Praise God, but you need to be circumcised if you really if you really want to be fully saved, you need to be circumcised. What is that? Oh, that was the Spirit of God. No, that was bondage. See, you were free. One of my favorite verses in Galatians is in chapter 5. Verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty Wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand 
in the finished work of Calvary, stand fast. Yeah, but they told me I need to stand fast. Yes. In the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus. But brother, they told me that I was baptized the wrong way. <laughs> and then if I really want to be saved, I've got to be baptized this way. Well, I'm sorry, that's not scriptural. What scripture says that if you believe upon Christ, then you are saved. So, my answer to you is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and do not, do not, paraphrase, whatever you do, do not be entangled in the yoke of bondage again. That says, do this, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do this, do that, can't go here, you can't go there. You got to do this. You got to do that. Praise God. You believed in Christ. Faith is not enough. You need to be circumcised. They didn't say that, but they might as well say it. No. It's true. And we don't say it, but it's not said when it's presented the other things, but they might as well say it. Praise God, but faith in Christ is not enough. You got to be baptized a certain formula. Yeah. Praise God, faith in Christ is just not enough. You got to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or else you are not saved. No, actually it says faith in Christ is actually enough. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That is it. What about the people? Yeah. He didn't participate in any. Faith. Stand fast. Amen. Stand fast in the liberty. Yes. Mm. Amen. Yes. Yes. He's already done it all. You are already all the way saved. That's it. In Christ, you are justified as if just as if you never sinned. In the eyes of God, you look just like Jesus. You're in Christ. And he looks at you and says that you are perfect. Because you're in Christ Jesus. Christ was your substitute on the cross. If you study the sacrificial system, you'll find out that there were like five or six sacrifices. And they all, Christ fulfilled every single one in Calvary. One was that the sin of the sinner was placed upon the lamb. So the sin of the sinner was placed upon the sacrifice and the sacrifice bore the penalty of the sin of the sinner. Christ took your sin upon himself, the sin offering, the sin bearer, took the penalty for your sin, my sin, praise God, on himself. And took the penalty and the wrath of my sin upon himself at Calvary. There's another sacrifice that is. See, you got to have all of it to get the full picture. Because the other one is that the perfect, spotless righteousness of the sacrifice is actually transferred to the. Yeah. 
Praise God. Amen. Rowan, pray God. <laughs> My Lord. You mean to tell me? And there's there's more, but that's just what we're going to focus I encourage you to study out the sacrificial system. I did, and my wife can attest that there's a lot of time left to cry. Because it, it, it helped me to understand the work of Christ more clearly because it's laid out in detail that my sinfulness was transferred to the offering, and the offering took the penalty, bore the penalty for my sin upon himself. But then there's another part that says that the spotlessness and the perfection of the sacrifice, which was a type of Christ, was transferred to me. The offerer. It's always something like that. Offerer. So that. Oh my mule. That means that I have the perfect. Righteousness of Christ right now. And that's how God the Father sees me. One of my favorite types of this, besides the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, is when Israel is going and they're walking and they've already blown it and they just failed so many times. And if you read the story, you know that they failed and blown it and everything under the sun. They're just horrible. And here comes Balaam. He comes and somebody says, Curse Israel. They try to get him to curse Israel. They're going to give him money or whatever he curses. And he's a corrupt prophet. So he's like, Yeah, okay, for money, I guess I'll do it. But then an angel shows up or the Lord shows up and says, You won't be doing none of that. Yeah. So, what? even though we read the story and we know Israel blew it, a lot of times they blew it. We know our own lives and we know that we blew it. But yet, here is Balaam stands up there, and the only thing that he can say when he goes to speak anything is he said, basically, I can't curse what God has blessed. I see no perverseness in Israel. When the, you may see all your false failures, you blew it, you bit off a big piece of stupid, but when God looks at you because you have the perfect righteousness of Christ and you are justified because you have believed upon Jesus, when he looks at you, he says, I see no perverseness in Robert. And then the enemy just loses his mind. He's like, what? But because of Christ, he's been handcuffed and there's nothing he can do. Because in the court, in the in the heavenly court of all, the blood was enough. The work of Calvary was enough. So he sees no perverseness in Tanner. If you were me, you'd get excited about that. Because I see all perverseness. But what matters is who I am in Christ. And if it's good enough for God, why can't it be good enough for me? I see no 
perverseness in Israel. Hmm. You have the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ right now. It can't get any better than perfect. So whether you've been baptized a certain way or not, you are perfect in Christ. Logan said they can't curse but God is blessed. It reminded me of something I had read. Actually, I've read about this on several occasions, but a specific testimony really stuck out with me. A guy who was very much involved in the cult and witchcraft and all those things. And, the, and, and there's a reality of power there in the, in the occult, uh, you know, uh, to a certain degree. But and he was so much involved in it, and he even knew the demon spirits, and he knew where that, that came from. And he would actually take people. People would come to him and ask him to put a curse. Very similar to what happened with Balaam. They're paying him to go curse Israel. And uh, there was uh, a particular lady that came to him one time and asked him to curse this other lady. And she was upset. This other lady was not a perfect person like what you were describing with Israel. Uh, but he he tried to do, make a long story short, he tried to do what he would normally do. He had promised that lady, uh, no problem. It'll be done. It'll be done. What you're asking me to do will be done. I think it was death. I think he was trying to He came back to her and he said, here's, here's your money back. I can't do it. And the reason why he couldn't do it was she was a believer. She was a Christian. He could not put a curse on Basically, what he, he didn't use his terminology in the book where he was right, but basically he came back and said the very same thing. I cannot curse what God is blessed. Yeah. And this wasn't a perfect person. This lady that... that but because of her faith in Christ, there was covering there, and he couldn't touch her. The enemy couldn't touch her. Yeah. And that's true for, for us as well. Yes. You know, yeah. we put our faith in Christ. Such efforts tend to fool people for the simple reason that many of these regulations and rules are good, uh, just as the law of Moses was good. They're not wrong within themselves, so to say it like that. Uh, it's not bad to dress modestly. Let's be honest. Not bad to dress modestly. It's a good thing. But to use it as a, a law makes it wrong. When you use it, yeah. it makes it wrong. Uh, uh, such efforts tend to fool people for the simple reason that many of these regulations and rules are good, just as the law of Moses was good. Nevertheless, to reinstate law in any fashion, no matter how sincere we may be, will not have the intended results of holiness, but rather the very opposite. Because if you choose that route, law, then what happens is that the sin nature, which was once silenced in Christ, is now revived. Because it's only through the sacrifice of Christ, that it's silence. But when you move your faith to the law, your focus and your faith is no longer in what Christ has done, it's in what you do or don't do, which now means that you have no defense against the sin nature, which now means it's alive again, which means that you will either A, rebel against the law, which means you won't keep it any longer, or B, if you keep it, you'll be so self-righteous. 
which is actually, it doesn't seem like the worst of the two, but it is. Because then you're just prideful and self-righteous and that you're just so great and so holy and that everybody's just more like you. If everybody just looked more like Tanner than, I mean, Christ. Well, we can't say that, but... <laughs> Number two. Efforts of law-keeping always bring fear. For the simple reason that the person is led to believe that their salvation consists of keeping these laws. So their Christianity now becomes a bondage instead of a freedom. All of this in attempting to be holy and righteous, which in fact only Jesus can give, which law keeping can never give, for the simple reason that the law was always broken. Some people, and I've fallen into this myself. If I didn't pray every single day, I thought that the Lord was just not happy with me. They were just so unpleased with me that I was a horrible Christian. <laughs> I was on the verge of losing my salvation because I didn't pray today. Maybe you didn't think like that, but I actually thought like that at some time. That the Lord was looking down upon me with like this sad face emoji. <laughs> like, oh. I mean, I love him because I have to. <laughs> but he is obviously, he obviously doesn't love me because he is not praying. That's how I felt. And it, it broke my heart because I just want to be pleasing to God. But, see, I'm under law. That's a law mindset. Because I think that by praying, I'm pleasing to God. And praying is not a bad thing. That's right. It's a good thing, and it's actually scriptural. But yet, I think that praying gets me something with God. I've made something in the wrong way. And now I'm just operating by law. Don't even know it. And, I, and the whole time I'm thinking the Holy Spirit is just convicting me about prayer. And I'm just operating under law. In bondage. Grieving every day because I just don't measure up to the prayer warrior that I see in Scripture that I should be. Why can't I just pray continuously like Paul? And there's like this crazy expectation of Now you guys will get to get to see my heart. The bondage of perfection. Yeah. Well, Brent, do I need to pass this kid with the three years of Bible college? got a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's of divinity. Praise God. You got a beautiful wife. Teaching in class. Praise God. You happen to be able to sing halfway a little bit. The Lord at least anoints it. So praise God. Wow. Praise God. And you, none of you ever do it. But yet upon my own self, the bondage of perfection. I gotta be perfect. I gotta say the right thing. I gotta do the right thing. When I'm at home, I gotta be perfect. 
And my wife doesn't put that on me. That's just so. Yeah. It'd be perfect. I oh my goodness, I can't blow it. That's for sure. At least not in public. If I'm going to lose my mind and blow it, at least close the bathroom door and lock it so no one can see. <laughs> because I got to be perfect, right? I mean, after all. And I'm under bondage. And God never expects me to be perfect. He just wants me to place my faith in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I still remember... And I remember like it was yesterday and it touched me so much. At Bible college and I had literally just blew it. I was literally just bit off a big piece of stoop. I sinned. In Bible college, I was spending almost 24 hours a day not asleep. So that's you know at least eight there, but 14 to 16 hours a day in either class. Services or studying or homework, the Word of God. No, really, no influence from the outside world because you know you're just locked up in this little bitty dorm room that feels like a prison cell. <laughs> and I found out that I didn't need any help to sin. I was very capable of doing it myself. I didn't need it. And if I sinned, it wasn't anybody else's fault. Shocking. It's just me. I'm the sinful one here. If I reacted the wrong way, it wasn't anybody else's fault. Just me. I don't need any help to sin. It's just me. I'll make up ways to sin. I found out. In Bible college, that's where I found out. Dude, the sin nature is not a joke. It's the real deal. And it's right, it's right here in me. I need zero help to sin. And I'm more wicked than I could ever imagine. And that's all before I even stepped out of the dorm room and met people who could actually rub me the wrong way and cause whatever's on the inside to come out to the top. And then I figured out when that happened, it's not their fault that I'm this way. It's just me. It's not their fault that I lost my temper. That's just me. Sin. Me. 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 Well, anyway, the point is I blew it. Went to work in the Bible college library. And thank the Lord no one was in there. Because I was so broken. I was crying. Um. And I remember, I remember the words I said very clearly. I went to the back and just cried. And, you know, we had like a side office basically in the library. And I just cried in that on the floor just weeping. Lord, I just want to be pleasing to you. Because I just blown it. Remember, I just sinned. Lord, I just want to be pleasing to you. I, I want you to be proud of me. And I'm just focused on my own failure. And the Lord, very clear, I mean, this was the Lord. Lines up with Scripture, lines up with the moving of the Spirit, so it's God. Not to mention the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders. That said, Son, do you know what pleases me? 
your faith in Christ yeah. and what He's done. Yeah, but you just blew it. Yeah, but I'm just taking what the man said. <laughs> my desire was to be pleasing to God. And in my own thinking, somehow that meant perfection. And God said, what pleases me is your faith in what I've provided for you. Sacrifice. That's what pleases me more than anything else. Not your perfection. Your faith. Remember, obedience to the faith better than sacrifice. Yeah. The very moment the believer attempts to keep law of some making, the Holy Spirit withdraws his help, with the believer always failing sooner or later. The idea is not the believer keeping some type of law, but rather in placing our trust in Christ who has kept the law in every respect. It is a task already done instead of being left up to us to do. It is through the process of faith and grace that Jesus keeps the moral law through us, which is in accordance with our imputed righteousness and holiness. Now there is no fear. The responsibility is not on my shoulders, but on Christ. The bondage of religion is always spelled out in one word, do. True biblical Christianity is always spelled out in one word, done. Amen. That's good. It is finished. Religion always says do. And biblical Christianity and faith says it is finished. It is done. Amen. Amen. Amen.